All right, we're in a series, uh, and I called it Happiness Redefined. It's a redefinition of happiness for us because the world has defined it. But actually, it is the original definition of happiness because it, it comes from Jesus. And it's called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, the word means, to, to remind you, blissful or happy. So the word blessed also means happy. It is the Greek word makarios. It means happy. So let me read you. This is the second beatitude. It's the third message in our series. Matthew 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Now remember the word blessed means happy. So the title of the message is, Those who mourn are happy. Now all of the beatitudes are paradoxical. They seem opposite to us. But I have to admit, this one seems the most opposite. Happy are those who mourn. Okay, let me say it another way. I actually started to name the message this. Uh, Let's say it this way. Happy are the sad. It doesn't make sense, right? It's like saying rich are the poor. Young are the old. Skinny. Maybe I shouldn't go there. <laughs> or the fat. It just, it just, it doesn't make sense. Is that right? Okay. What's he talking about here? Well, first of all, we need to understand the word mourn. Most of the time, when we think of mourn, we think of grieve, or we think of, of uh, the feeling that we have, or the experience that we go through when someone dies, right? We mourn. Okay. There are nine different Greek words for mourn in the New Testament. This is the strongest one. And it doesn't refer to mourning after someone dies. This is amazing. And this is what we need to understand. It refers to the mourning that we should have over sin. It follows perfectly with the first one. Remember I told you last week, I believe there's an order to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Once you realize that you're poor in spirit, that you are bankrupt before God, the next step is a mourning over your sin. And that's what it's used for. Now, we're about to get to 2 Corinthians 7, but let me read you something in 1 Corinthians 7 first so that you'll see what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 7. Most theologians say 2 Corinthians is the second letter to the Corinthian church. Actually, it's probably the third letter. Because in 1 Corinthians, he refers to his first letter. <laughs> uh, but the, the only two that made it in the Bible, that in the canonized scripture, are First and Second Corinthians. In other words, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, the Holy Spirit didn't think was good enough to get in the Bible. So it didn't make it. So, but these two got in the Bible. But my point is that he writes to them in 1 Corinthians about something they need to deal with. And then we'll get to 2 Corinthians in a minute. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 says, It is actually reported... That there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. Incest here. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. That's the same Greek word in the Beatitudes. You haven't mourned. You haven't grieved as if someone died over this situation. And then he tells them to exercise church discipline. 
And the reason for church discipline is always for the restoration of the person. And it works, by the way. Because in 2 Corinthians, he writes back and says, Now receive the person back, because he's repented. And then he gives them some clarification on the mourning that they went through. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us as nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Please remember that. Godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves or of your conscience. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In other words, he's saying, I understand that you were made sorry, but look what it produced. Look at the zeal for God you have now. Look at the clearing of your conscience. Look at the desire you have. Look at the vindication you have now. Because you were made sorry in a godly manner. In other words, you mourned, so now you're comforted. There's no comfort without mourning. Because Jesus says it clearly. Happy are those who mourn. They will be comforted. But without mourning, there's no comfort. Now, two things I want to show you through this Beatitude, right? Here's number one, and we get it right out of 2 Corinthians 9. Number one, godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Repentance, we know, means change. It comes from two Greek words, metanoia. It means change your mind. And you'll never change your behavior without changing your thoughts. Never, ever, ever. If you continue to think the same way, you know, that's the definition. That is the real definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing and expecting different results. Okay. So there will never come a change without changing our thoughts. So repentance means change. Here's what I've been asked constantly. Pastor, how can I change? I want to change. There's an area of my life that I have been in bondage to. I have, I have done this over and over and over again. And I have confessed it. And I have a quiet time. And I read my Bible. But I just can't seem to change. How can I change? Well, here's the answer to that question. Godly sorrow produces change. Is it possible that we haven't changed because we haven't had godly sorrow? Worldly sorrow produces death. Now, let's go a little further and use the beatitude. Is it possible that we're not happy because we haven't mourned over our sin? Is it possible that we don't have joy because we haven't been sorrowful over our sin. And is it also possible that the degree of joy that we experience is proportionate to the degree of grief, to the degree of sorrow? I want you to think about that. And let me give you an example. And I'm not trying to bring up a, a painful memory here. Because I understand. I'm going to talk about losing someone. And I understand that's painful. But listen, listen, because this will, this will illustrate Joy and sorrow. Think about a loved one that you've lost. Now think about this. How much joy are you going to have 
the first time you see that loved one in heaven. Do you know why your joy is going to be great? Because your sorrow is great. Your comfort is going to be awesome. Because you did experience mourning. That's what he's talking about. So in the same way, is it possible that we could really experience the joy of our salvation if we mourned over our sin? If we mourned as if someone had died. A few weeks ago, I shared with you about um, the ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the gospel of the poor. Uh, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, open blind eyes, preach deliverance to the captives. And it said in that passage in Luke 4 that he opened the book of Isaiah and read from that book. Well, this is where he read when he's talking about his ministry. Isaiah 61, verse 2. To comfort all who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. By the way, if you don't mourn, you don't get comforted. Is that, is that right what it says? doesn't say to comfort those who don't mourn. To comfort those who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Is it possible that you can't get the oil of joy without mourning? Because this says the people who get it are the ones who mourn. They get the oil of joy. Probably the greatest hymn ever written. Amazing Grace by a former uh, slave trader, John Newton. Verse 2, I absolutely love. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." And grace my fears relieve. How about saying it another way? Twas grace that taught me to mourn. And grace that gave me comfort. But comfort comes after mourning. Now, uh, look at Ezekiel chapter 9. If you remember also, I told you a few weeks ago that I can show you in the Old Testament things in the New Testament. And this in, this in Ezekiel 9 is the mark of God. Here's the mark of God, which is more important than the mark of the beast. Because if you have the mark of God, you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. But how do you get the mark of God? Well, Ezekiel 9 tells you how to get the mark of God. Look, look at uh, verse 3. Ezekiel 9, verse 3. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the rider's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads, see that? On the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry, could we say mourn, over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. There's the judgment. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? <laughs> and begin at my sanctuary. That tells you not everybody who goes to church has the mark of God on them. Not everyone who goes to church has sighed and cried over his abominations. Hey, we read in 2 Corinthians 7 a moment ago that the way you get, uh, that godly sorrow leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. Okay, the way you get saved is you sorrow. You sigh and cry over your abominations. That's what we just read. That's how you get the mark of God on you. We've got to come to place that not only do we see that we're spiritually bankrupt before God, but we are filthy before God. Our sin is 
filthy rags in the sight of God. And there needs to come a mourning over our sin. Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together. Remember the word reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, he said, come on, come, sit down, let us reason together. The word reason means to discuss something until we come to agreement. Here's what he's saying. Let us discuss this until we can come into agreement. Now, would you like to know, though, what you're discussing with him? Your sin. Let, let's, let's discuss how bad your sin is so you'll understand how good my grace is. Because if you don't understand that, you'll never have the joy of your salvation. But you've got to understand that first. So let's agree together. Uh, a friend of mine owned a carpet cleaning company. And uh, he hired this new employee, he told me this story, hired this new employee, and the guy had experience in cleaning carpets. So he took him to a house, dropped him off, told him what to do, and then he left to go check on another job, and then came back to check on him. And when he got back, the guy was putting up his equipment. He was finished. And so my friend who owns the company is walking through the house, and he comes to this spot where it's still dirty. The carpet's dirty. And so he called the new employee over and he said, I, I positioned myself where my toes were on one side of the dirt and his toes were on the other side of the dirt. And he said, when he came over to me, I said to him, look down. And then he said, I went and said to him, what is that? And the guy said, that's dirt. And he said, good, we can work together. He said, you know, I've hired some people that can't see that. And they pay us to get that out. And if you can't see it, then we can't work together. But if you can see that, then you and I can work together. Now go get your equipment come back and get this out of the carpet, because that's what we are paid to get that out. You understand? So he, the boy goes and gets, he goes out and gets in his truck, he said. And he said he was sitting there doing some paperwork and some things like that. And the Holy Spirit reminded him of some things he had said to his wife that morning. And the Holy Spirit said to him, What is that? <laughs> he said, God, that's sin. And the Holy Spirit said, Good, we can work together. <laughs> because I've got a lot of children. Now listen to what the Holy Spirit said to him. I've got some children that can't see that. And I can't work with them because Jesus paid to get that out. But if you can't see it, if you can't see it, we can't work together. Are you all following me? I'm telling you, if you want to be happy, you're going to have to be able to see sin and agree with God over it. All right, here's point number two. Repentance produces joy. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance produces joy because we know the Bible refers to our salvation as joy. Now, flip back a few pages to the left to Psalm 32. And I just want to show you how David talks about his sin. And how he talks about confessing that sin or agreeing with God about his sin and what it produced when he agreed. Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed, would you remind me what the word blessed means? Happy is he 
whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, in other words, when I didn't mourn over my sin, when I didn't agree with God about it, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, dryness. You ever, you ever felt like you were dry? It's sin, unconfessed sin many times. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, here's what's great. He said I confessed. Go to Psalm 51. Just a few pages to the right, we have his confession. And I'm only going to read a few verses, but would you make a note? I know that most of you have a quiet time and read the Bible during the week, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, Would you make a note to read all of Psalm 51 this week in your quiet time? Just read the whole thing. Let the Holy Spirit show you. You could read it every day, maybe. The same Psalm every day and see what God shows you. But here's part of his confession of sin. And he, by the way, he's confessing adultery and murder in this Psalm. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Notice it's not just a short prayer. God, I, I, I sin. Please forgive me. i got to go to work. And cleanse me from my... Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You saw when I did it. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And this thing keeps going. But look down at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Let me tell you again. Joy comes after repentance. Happy are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. It comes afterwards. And then it says, happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know what the the Greek word for comforted there is? It's parakaleo. Parakaleo. It's very similar to another Greek word you've probably heard, parakletos. Parakletos is the Greek word for Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. As a matter of fact, parakletos means one who comes alongside, because para means alongside, And comfort. One who comes alongside with comfort. So, you know what Jesus is actually saying in Matthew 5? Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Because the Holy Spirit will come alongside them and comfort them. Is it possible that the Holy Spirit is not comforting you because you're not mourning? Is it possible we are not fully filled with the Holy Spirit every day? Although we believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can't say that when you walk in sin, the Holy Spirit's walking with you. You can't say that. As a matter of fact, this word mourn, there's another word for mourn that we would use in the English, grieve. You know what we're told about sin? It grieves the Holy Spirit. I was talking to this guy one time, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. I was talking to this guy and he said to me, uh, Pastor, I am, uh, uh, I've left my wife and I am living in adultery with another woman 
but I'm a spirit-filled Christian. And I said to him, yes, would you like for me to tell you some of the spirits you're filled with? Because you are not filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. And our comfort comes from the Comforter. Look at this verse, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. That's why you get comforted. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, that last part doesn't sound that good. <laughs> but it's because we don't understand what he's talking about there. You know, it sounds like, well, she got twice what was coming to her. No, that's not what he's saying at all. It's, it's totally different. In those days, if you had debts that mounted to so much that you couldn't pay, bankruptcy is what we would call it. And that's what we learned about poverty and spirit. We're bankrupt before God. Can't pay our debt. No way. Can't even pay a dime on our debt. So if a person had debts that he couldn't pay and there was going to be a foreclosure, the creditor would write down all of his debts on a piece of paper and nail that piece of paper to his doorpost. Now, a couple of things I want you to think about that. Would you want your visa bill nailed to the door of your house? You know, the reason that you can't pay it, you know, new car, new stereo, plastic surgery, you know, whatever. So all your neighbors would know that you spent money on those things instead of on what you should have spent it on. And now you're bankrupt. So he writes down all the debts and they're on a piece of paper. Now, here's what this means. People walking by could read how much that man owed. And if a person had compassion, he could take those debts, take that piece of paper, listen carefully, double it, which did two things. It covered the person's shame. Double it, nail it back in, use a nail, and nail it back in. And write his name on it that he would pay that person's debt. All of it. Now here's what happened. Jesus has seen everything vile I've ever done. Everything shameful that I've ever done. But he decided in a motel room 27 years ago to cover my shame. And to write his name on it. And to pay my debt. And here's what this verse says. You ought to be comforted because you've received from the Lord's hand double for your sins. Now, one last thing I want to tell you. I got to thinking about this message, and I really could have made this a point three. If you're one that really likes to take notes, you could make it a point three if you want to. I got to thinking about this and praying about it. I said, godly sorrow produces repentance, and repentance produces joy. Godly sorrow produces repentance. We all want to change. Okay, here would be point three if I had one. Here's a question. What produces godly sorrow? I mean, Pastor, I would like to have godly sorrow so I could change and so I could have joy. What produces godly sorrow? And the Lord showed me a verse that I believe produces godly sorrow. And let me just show it to you. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour on the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, just answer it in one word, grace produces godly sorrow. But let me show you what brings grace in our life. 
The spirit of grace and supplication. Supplication means in the Hebrew to cry out for mercy. I'm going to pour out on them a a spirit of crying out for mercy and grace. Then, watch this carefully, they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn, there's the word, for him as one mourns for his only son. What if we mourned over our sin in the same way as if someone had died? Someone did die. We're going to end the service a little differently today. As I really believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me that we all need to repent. All of us. There are areas of our life of our lives that we need to mourn over. And if we'll mourn in a godly way, grieve over our sin that put Jesus on the cross, that godly sorrow will produce change in us, a repentance. And I'm not going to lead you through this, but just to give you a little instruction as we begin, I want you to ask Let the Holy Spirit ask you, what is that? What is that in your life? Let the Holy Spirit point out an attitude, a behavior that is sin, that is stopping you from experiencing His joy and His comfort. And let God bring a mourning, a repentance in your heart. And you tell the Lord whatever you need to tell Him in this area. Lord, I ask you to pour out on us a spirit of grace and supplication. That we can look on Him whom we pierced. And we can mourn in a godly way over our sins. God, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts today that we'll never forget. And Lord, that when we stumble and when we fall and when we miss the mark and when we're tempted, we'll remember what our salvation cost. Lord, I don't believe you want us to live sad. I believe you want us to live happy lives. But it comes... After we mourn. So God, when we miss the mark, we pray for godly sorrow. Lord, I pray that we will always remember what you did for us. And Lord, in the same way that we receive from you godly sorrow, we receive from you comfort. We receive forgiveness. We receive The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And Lord, we tell you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your forgiveness.